The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. turn to Ephesians 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 before Oshawa comes up this morning and and, uh, preaches from the word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Mackenzie. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Good 4th of July. We got some pretty good weather. And the, the ladies won their soccer game this morning. If anyone's following the, the women's team. I, I mean, I think it was like one minute left and we were up by two. Is that right, Mora? 2-0. So it's good to be American when the ladies play soccer. Not so much when the guys don't even qualify. Um, but maybe next time. Maybe next time. Um, let's pray and then let's jump into our our passage here. Lord Jesus, it is good to be together as a community, and you, uh, you remind us uh, again and again through these songs and through your word that we are here because of grace, because of, of your abounding love for us, and not because of anything that we have done uh, to earn uh, that, that love. And so we want to rest in that this morning, and we want to be empowered by that to do good works, to see your kingdom come on this earth. So please help us, Lord Jesus, this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are in this, uh, this series, right, called Alive, Becoming Like Jesus Together. And we're going to continue looking at this idea of gospel transformation and how the gospel empowers us to live new lives. And in particular, that last verse, in verse 10, about about 
being prepared for good works, to walk in them. Right? We're going to focus in on that and what it means to walk in good works and how the gospel leads us in that. And so there's, there's three main points that we're going to make this morning we want to look at. First, we're going to look at that old root of sin that the gospel rips out in our lives. We focused on that a lot last week. And then the new root that then is planted that we have in Christ. And then finally, three things that we need to know about fruit bearing. So that's where we're going this morning. And first, this idea of the root of sin. So we saw last week that apart from grace, we are spiritually dead. Right? We follow the path of the secular culture. We're dominated by the, the influence of the demonic and it, what's called the, right, the, the spirit of the power of the air. And we're slaves to our passions and desires. And all of these things leave us bound in what we call this vicious cycle. And we said that sin wasn't primarily just, oh, we do bad things, but sin is perpetuated and becomes worse and worse in our lives in that DIY salvation project that we have, right? That we're just going to figure it out ourselves. We're going to watch the YouTube videos and we're just going to get her done and, and fix our problems apart from God. And that just ends up leading to more and more pain, more and more broken souls as we try in our own abilities to mend the brokenness. It just gets worse. It gets worse. And so Right? The good news of the gospel is that he has not left us in this vicious cycle of self-salvation that leads to self-destruction. But God, in his mercy, shows his love. He makes us alive in Christ. And in this passage here, it's this picture of resurrection. You see it again and again, right? But God, rich in mercy, verse 4, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is all one long, like, Bible Paul sentence. This whole section. Ten verses, this little kind of section of your Bible. One sentence. The subject is God. The verb is, he made you alive with Christ. That's the sentence right there. God made you alive. And it's this picture of resurrection. And I don't know if that's how you think about your salvation as you look back on it, right? God can do something in our life and, and we don't know about it. We don't actually know what's happening when we meet Jesus. And then slowly over time we learn about it. We come to understand, oh, that's what God did. So what we learn here is that this work of salvation that God does in our life is like a work of resurrection from death to life. It's like Jesus speaking to Lazarus. If you remember that story in John's gospel where, where he says, okay, open the tomb. Let, let me see this friend, this man who I love. And, and there's all the people weeping and mourning and he just says, Lazarus, come forth. Right? The power of the word of Jesus brings the dead alive. Or there's allusions in this passage back to Ezekiel 36 and 37. Where Ezekiel 36 talks about God taking out this heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh so that now we desire to do the works of God, desire to be pleasing to God. Or Ezekiel 37 is this vision, right? There's this prophet and he has this, this vision and God brings him above this valley and it's filled with bones, with, with death and they're dry bones, they're old, they've been dead for a long time and he just says, God says to Ezekiel, speak to these bones, prophesy, 
speak the words of God, and those words of God bring life. We read the book of Genesis, right? In the beginning, God, and then it says he created. He spoke and created. That's the story of the scriptures. God speaks and creates. And so just like these, the, the dry bones come alive and, and flesh comes back on them and they become this army for the Lord for accomplishing God's good purposes in the world, that's what we learn here in this passage is that salvation is like resurrection. Even if you look through this passage, we were going through this with our, with our community group this last week, and I asked the question, I said, what, what do we bring to this equation, and what does God bring? Right, and you can kind of just walk through this, this passage in chapter two. And I look at it, I'm like, okay, I bring death, trespasses, sins, walking after the course of the world, under the power of the prince of the power of the, the air, right? I'm a son of disobedience, I'm, I, I'm following my passions, my flesh, desires the body, mind, right? It, it's a long list of no good stuff that I'm contributing, right, to this equation. And then God, he shows up, God, rich in mercy, because of great love that he loves us, when we were dead, okay, that's me again, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. He, he brings resurrection power, he brings grace, he brings love, he brings mercy, all of this. Verse seven, this immeasurable riches of his grace that he's pouring out on us. And then verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, there it is. There's the only non-like horrible rebellious thing that I add to this equation. There's the first kind of like, this is the other thing. Through faith. Now, lest we think, ah, ha, ha, there it is. I'm the decisive one here, right? See, I wasn't that bad. I brought faith, right? Immediately after he mentions the other part that we bring to this equation, he says, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes, by grace you've been saved through faith. Then he adds in, verse 8, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. So why does he add that in right there, right? Why does he have to add in, right, oh, and this is not your own doing? Well, it's because he just mentioned our, the means, the instrument in which we receive this salvation, he just mentioned what, the part that we play. Absolutely essential part, right? We need to lift our eyes to Jesus, put faith in Christ. It's essential, it's important, it's real. And it comes from us and our, our, our will, our desire to know this Christ. But lest we think that it comes from us, lest we think that it's something that we merit, we merit salvation through this faith, that we are somehow not the dead being raised to life, he says, this is not from you. This is not from your works. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. And even there's some debate among Bible scholars about the this, right? Is it the faith? Is it the grace? Is it the salvation? Paul does something interesting, right? In Greek, it's, there's gen, genders, right? You can have, like in Spanish. You learn Spanish in, in high school. I did. I learned that there's certain objects in the room are female are feminine, and other objects are masculine, and some are neuter. Um, and Greek's the same way, but there's no match in this sentence. The this doesn't match anything in the sentence. And he does this like five times in the book, where he says this, and then he doesn't match it to anything else. So what it seems is he's like, 
the this is the summary, right? Again and again, he's this, right? What I just spoke about is this. He gives the next point. And so the idea here is that this salvation by grace through faith, right? This whole work, dead, being made alive, all of this, this is not from you. This is the gift of God. That's good news. That's liberating, powerful, joyful news. Now, we see, what's the result of this? We're going to hammer in on, on verse 9, and we're still looking at the root of our sin, okay? And this is where we're going to see it. The result of this, by grace, through faith, all from God, salvation, verse 9, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? Because salvation is all of God, all of my boasting is removed. I have no ground for it. My boasting, my pride, my self-sufficiency is removed. Do you see the weight of this? Do you see the significance of this for living out the power of the gospel in your life? Let me ask it another way, a different question. Do you know what the root of sin is in your life and in my life? Do you know what that root sin is that, that at its heart is what leads to all the brokenness in this world? You can, you can say something. You can, you. The root of sin. I'm going to read us a quote by C.S. Lewis who talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. And then we're going to connect this back into this removing of boasting and why it's so significant. Lewis says this. He says, There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Other vices may sometimes bring people together. You may find good fellowship and jokes and friendliness among drunken people or unchaste people. But pride always means enmity. It is enmity. And not only enmity between man and man, but enmity to God. In God, you come up against something which in every respect, which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Read that again, right? Unless you know God as what? Immeasurably superior to yourself, right? 
unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Wow. And this last bit of this quote. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Do you see it now? Do you see it now? And the significance that this gospel, which is all of grace, removes every ground that we have for boasting. Only the sovereign grace of God in the gospel can tear out the root of pride in our hearts. If you have something to boast in, if you have something to contribute, if it's because your great good works and and your church attendance or you're keeping your, your nose clean and staying out of trouble, if that's why you're acceptable to God, if that's why you think you're a good person, you still have pride. You still can boast in that. And without even knowing it, the root of sins remained in your heart. And that's why there can be so many church people that don't know God. Because they they get under moral teaching. Good moral teaching and live good moral lives. And the pride remains. The hypocrisy, the judgmentalism, the, right, this holier-than-thou kind of attitude remains. And you don't know the gospel. So this gospel uproots that sin of pride in our hearts. It takes out this old identity and gives us a new identity. And that's the the second point, this root of Christ, this new life-giving identity that we have. And this is where we're going to dive into what it means to be his workmanship, prepared for good works. Look with me at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? We are his workmanship, his creative masterpiece. Okay, the gospel doesn't just tear out this root of sin, this root of pride. It plants something new, a new identity in our lives, a new source of life and power. And hear me, hear me, a new foundation for our dignity, okay? So don't be thinking, oh, oh, this is all about shame-based, horrible self-esteem. You're all horrible people. I should feel bad at myself. That's what Christians teach. No, true dignity comes from being a loved child of God, not from whatever social group or economic status or, or brand you happen to wear or how many likes you get on your posts. That's the best dignity that our culture has to offer, <laughs> It doesn't last very far or go very far. So, and you may have heard in this word, workmanship, a Bible teacher perhaps say, hey, this is, this comes from that same Greek kind of root word that we get our word poem, right? Creation, creative piece of art. That's, that's true, and I think that's helpful to see that this idea that he's created us anew, right? It helps us see that we are a part of this beautiful creative work of God. This first creation was broken, was corrupted by our sin, 
But this new creation, right, the resurrection life that Jesus is bringing in to the world, and then he brings the resurrection into us, it's a new creation. It's not corrupted by sin. It's beautiful, right? It's us. It's, it's, It's this new kingdom work he's bringing about in us. So what's at the heart of that? What's at the heart of this new identity that leads us to walk in good works. This is where I'm going to connect us in. Because if you remember from last week, we're going to be spending most of this series in chapter 4, which is the practical living out, the walking out of this life and this gospel with the one another. Okay, and, and we have this word here, walking. Walking, right? It's how Paul talks about this image of our, of our lifestyle, of our, our practices, what we do in life. And, and now you're going to see that theme throughout the, the letter, how we walk out these good works that God has prepared for us, how we live out this new um, creative masterpiece that we are in Jesus. So look with me at, at uh, chapter 5, verse 2, and you're going to see this word walk again. And here's a foundational piece of, of what this walk looks like. I'll start in verse, verse 1. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there it is. Our new identity as, as followers of Jesus, as people made alive, is that we are loved children of God. Right? And, and we get this identity from the affirmation of our Father, from his acceptance, his word of love for us. And that identity we live out is showing forth that we are children of God, that we have a Father, and we are then imitating him in this world. And we don't do our good works, right, to earn his love, but it says, right, as you've been loved, now walk in love. As Christ loved you, right? We, we walk out this love in response to it, in a, an overflowing joy of being people loved by God. So practically, what, what that might look like, right? We can be generous to those in need because we know God has been generous to us. And we, because we know that we have an almighty Father who can provide for every one of our needs. So I don't have to be, like, stingy, in my generosity, I can give to those in need knowing he's loved me and was generous and he will provide for my needs. We can forgive people, right, who have wronged us because we've experienced God's forgiveness in our life, right? We can walk in courage and freedom from anxiety because we know that our God is sovereign. We read in, the, in Romans chapter 8 that he's working all things together for our good, right? He's in control. I don't need to be full of anxiety, fear, bound by what will tomorrow bring. I can walk in joy and freedom. Or just another example, right? I don't have to be governed or controlled by anger, right? Because I know that God will bring justice to this world. He will bring justice so I don't have to. I don't need to punish someone because of the bad thing they've done. Because I know God will take care of business. 
And so I'm freed from having to do it myself. These are all just, just practical ways that knowing this identity and knowing our Father overflows in a transformed life. So the implication of that, right, and here's this, the image of the root, right? It's, it's dug in deep and it's, it's finding nourishment. It's that picture from Psalm 1 of the man who meditates on the law day and, and night and he's, he's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. It's this picture of finding that nourishment. And so growing as a Christian, our life as a Christian, is not a legalistic rule-keeping process. What we see in, in Ephesians, right, is that it's about growing and bearing good fruit. And the good fruit comes in our life when we're dug down deep in his word. When we're finding that nourishment from his Holy Spirit, from that, that, that fountain of living water, by that river, Right? And, and we see that it's about being enthralled by his love. I gotta know his love. How much does he love me? Grow in that, meditate on that, experience that. And then if you think about children, right? Do children learn new things by simply being told? Do this, right? You, you, you say to your six year old, do the dishes. <laughs> He doesn't know how to do the dishes. It's not enough to say, do the right thing to a child. That's not how children learn. It's also not enough just for the child to watch, right? Oh, watch me do the dishes. Watch me do this thing. That's not enough. It's actually, okay, here's the stool, right? Climb on up. Get up here and join me. Let's do it. Get your hands soapy and wet and dirty. That's how children learn. We're children of our Father. We can't just sit here and listen. That's necessary and foundational. It is not sufficient to learn the ways of God. It actually says, therefore, be imitators of God, right? My sons see me doing things, and they say, Dad, I want to do that with you. Can I do that? And I stoop down and invite them to join me in the process because I know it will take the doing for them to learn. That's how we learn. That's how we grow in the training, in the practicing, in the walking in love. And now here is the undoing of that vicious cycle of sin, right? In the vicious cycle of sin, we're, we're following the, the cravings of our desires or the ways of the culture, and then we get our lives get jacked up, and then we go and try to fix it ourselves, and we mess it up even more. That's a vicious cycle of plummeting and sin. Instead, this is this, this beautiful process of, he loves me, my father loves me, so I'm gonna sacrificially give and love another person. And then we do that and we're like, whoa, I just watched God's power transform their life. I just gave generously and then I saw God show up and provide for my needs. Wow, how much more do I, know, do I love my heavenly father, right? And then what, that, much, that much more reason to then go out and love and serve and lay my life down. And it's just this beautiful process of learning his faithfulness by, by walking out and engaging in, in the cause of Christ. And I mean, I don't want to use the word testing, but it's like giving him opportunity to show up and show his faithfulness in our life.
That's the root of Christ, right? We dig down deep. And then finally, I want to end on the practical. These are three things we need to know about the fruit that God has prepared for us. Three things we need to know about fruit bearing. And in in Ephesians 4, we are are told that in verse 12, right, it's the idea, it speaks about the the, the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers that God, God has given to the church. And then it says in verse 12 that these are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I want to get really practical. My job is to equip you, right, not just to know this gospel, but then to be prepared with the tools to go out and live this gospel for every good work. So we're going to get really practical And these are three things we need to know about fruit bearing so that we can do it practically in our life, okay? So the first one is we need to know how to recognize good fruit, okay? You got to know how to recognize what good fruit actually is. Look at chapter 5, verse 8, and I'm tracing the theme of walking, good works, and fruit throughout the book of Ephesians. Look at Chapter 5, verse 8. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We'll read verse 9 also. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So what makes a work good and not bad or just fruitless and empty. What makes a a work actually good is defined by God's character, not our opinions. Okay? So good works in this passage are pleasing to God, and they are in contrast to the darkness in the world. These works are good, not according to popular opinion, not what's acceptable in church culture, not based on what what feels good or affirms people's behavior. Goodness is defined by what's pleasing to God, right? So there's a lot of, in in our culture, they can say, well, this is good, this is beautiful, we're going to celebrate these things, and these other things are bad, and we're not going to, and we're going to, these are shameful and wrong, okay? Our culture knows how to say, this is good, this is bad, even though in the midst that they say, oh, there's no morality, there's no, right? No, no, There's, there's cultural morality of what's good and beautiful and what's bad and ugly, And what I'm saying is, if we're going to devote ourselves to good works, we have to be able to have a prophetic voice that says, no, 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 the world doesn't define what is good and beautiful. God's character does. The one who is beautiful defines what is beautiful. Good works reflect the character of God. And that's what it says here. It uses the three words, that the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, right? These are these pregnant terms. They're full of meaning about God's character. He alone is good. He alone is right. He alone is true. So we have to start there. We have to know and recognize what good fruit is. Now, I I know you guys aren't going to go there, but I have to say it, okay? This is not an excuse for being a self-appointed, holier-than-thou, finger-pointing religious nut. (laughs) right? Those are the bad things in the culture. They celebrate these things bad, 
right? Having God's character as the foundation of truth is not therefore the excuse to strut around saying, I know what's right. You call that beautiful, it's actually ugly. No, you're just being a jerk. No. And if you remember, what did we say? What uprooted the, found, the, the root of sin in our lives? Right? The gospel, what was that root of sin? Pride. Right? If you're that judgmental person pointing and judging culture, I don't know, I, I think you probably come from a place of pride. I think you've got to look back at yourself. Right? Because in the gospel, we have nothing to boast in. Because it's only by God's grace that we can do good or recognize good. One, one other point. I, don't, I know you guys aren't going to go here necessarily, but i got to say it again. It also is not an excuse to have this big secular sacred divide. And saying that, well, 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 yeah, yeah, the good is what has the Christian label on it. And the bad is the thing that has the secular label on it. <laughs> There's a lot of bad Christian things. Christian, right? They put the label on it, get marketed as that. No, no. I'm not saying Christian is good, secular is bad. I'm saying go to the scriptures. Go to the character of God. There are plenty of bad Christian stuff, and there are plenty of beautiful, good, secular things. It's not about the label. It's about reflecting God's character, God's heart. In the scriptures, his goodness, his truth, his righteousness. Okay, so just a little clarifications. Second point, right? We have to recognize good fruit, and then we need to know what kind of fruit each of us are designed to bear, right? The good fruits and works that each of us are prepared to walk in, because we each have, from God, different gifts, talents, abilities, and passions. Now, we'll get into this in a a couple weeks, but this whole section in in chapter four, in the beginning, is about spiritual gifts and about the diversity of the body and how we all get built up in love. And so it's kind of hard to jump in out of context, but just look at verse uh, 16 of chapter four. It talks about the body, right? And it says, through Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part working properly. Each part being a part of the equipping of the church. So I want to ask you, do you know your spiritual gifts? Do you know how God has wired you? Right? What are your innate abilities and strengths? You're just born with. You're just a natural at those things. And then what are those skills that you've just developed over time? Right? It's been said you can put 10,000 hours to something. You can be an expert. You can be, you can be a world-class at it. What, what have you put 10,000 hours into? Right? What are those things? What's that sweet spot of kingdom fruitfulness that you were designed for? What are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? Now, as you're thinking, it, some of those things might not fall in the category of good works. They might be fruitless things. And so that's a challenge to you, right? Okay, okay, God, change my passions. Give me a passion for fruitful kingdom work, right? Another question, do you believe that there are things 
in this world that you were created to do and that you can have a meaningful and even profound contribution to the world. I hope you believe that. It says in chapter 2 that you are, right, his workmanship. God does not waste his efforts, right? He doesn't make second-class citizens. There are no little people in the kingdom of God. No, he has a purpose and a beautiful plan for each of us, right? And even has prepared world-altering works for us to walk in. There's, there's just, as I, I've thought about it, there's so much potential in this room. Are you missing out on it? There's so much potential in this room. And yet there are so many Christians who never do the hard work of discovering their unique purpose in the world. Because it doesn't come easy. You don't just naturally kind of fall into that sweet spot, into realizing, I'm, I, am, I am prepared in a, in this, for this purpose, and I'm, I'm going to dedicate myself to it. it doesn't, that doesn't come easy. Right? It, takes, it takes work. And that's why we have community groups. Or that's one reason we have community groups. That together we can learn. Together we can join with one another and practice. Right? You don't just discover your gifts, your strengths by taking a test. <laughs> or just kind of, I don't know. I'm just kind of sitting around. I don't, I don't know what it is. You actually learn it by doing it. By practicing it. By training. And by others being like, wow, that blew me away. That was so awesome. That, that bore spiritual fruit in my life. And it doesn't mean, you might have the spiritual, uh, like the gift of giving and, and not be the richest person in this room. Right? You, you, might, you might have a, a spiritual gift of, of speaking or serving and not be the most articulate or the strongest. No, no. Spiritual gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit and bear spiritual fruit. They're not judged by, by well, I'm just, they're just so perfect. He can give a TED Talk, so then surely he has that spiritual gift. No. No, it doesn't matter if he can give a TED Talk. It matters, does God anoint your speech to bear fruit? It's his work. Finally, the last point. So, know how to recognize good fruit. Know the good fruit you personally, individually were designed to bear. And then finally, know when it's time to pick the fruit. Don't let it get overripe. Don't let it just sit there. You, you ever see, have, have one of those neighbors or seen one of those like fruit trees where it's just like they just don't pick their fruit? We, we have this plum tree across the street. A neighbor has it. And during season, it's just packed full of plums. And it's, it's the birds that eat them. And there's like literally a whole flock of like 500 birds that just show up and live on this tree for a week. And it's just what they do. And, and I'm just like, those are good fruit. That's good plums. I'd like, to, I'd like to pick them. But it goes to the birds because the people don't pick the fruit. This is the idea of discerning and living out the opportunities to do good works that God gives you in your life. So look at uh, chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. We have to hear this. Chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The NIV translates verse 15, making the most of every opportunity. This is that, that word, the Greek word kairos, of this opportune time, of this God-appointed time. Right? So the call for us in this passage is to see those opportunities when they come and make the most use of them for God's glory. It's not enough to know the right thing to do, right? Oh, I know what's good and right. It's not enough to know personally your own strengths and abilities and gifts. You actually have to use it. You actually have to discern, oh, this is a door that God's opening for me. This is a person that God has prepared, right? This is a, this is a divine appointment. God is here. This is a need that other people are ignoring that I am, that I am like, designed to meet this need. It's seeing those things and actually applying what you know to that opportunity. This is amazing. We are prepared for good works through God's equipping. We're, the, the, the good works are prepared for us in God's sovereign plan. Right? Where do they meet? Our preparation and God's plan come together as we discern and make use of every opportunity, as we see it, as we jump at it. But you can't just be passive, right? So I'm not just saying, like, look around. That's big and important. Some opportunities need to be hunted down. Some needs you're going to spend your life fighting to meet. I mean, one of them is just called parenting, right? <laughs> Even when they grow up and leave the house, so I hear, right? The process goes on, um, right? Those are things that we're called to, called to do. A couple points in, in just practically, right? How do we know when to pick the fruit? How do we see the opportunities? It's about being sensitive to God's spirit and sensitive to those needs around you, okay? You will miss those opportunities that God's prepared for you if you are... Hold on, someone, oh, notifications. Notifi oh, wow, that's a lot of notifications, clear. If you have your face in your phone all day, you will miss those opportunities. You will miss the opportunities that God has prepared for you if you have your schedule so packed with work and your little personal recreations that you have no margin for rest, for worship, and no margin to meet real human needs, to respond to the opportunities God's places before you. And you will miss those opportunities if you are not meditating on God's word and asking him to lead you and speak to you. Right? It really takes, God, I, I want to be listening to your spirit. God, give me eyes to see the harvest today. Give me eyes to see that gospel work that you've prepared for me today. So I'm going to end with just a, a story of, of how I've seen God do that, even just, just recently. A little story and a little challenge. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. And it's, it's kind of like a, a, a training exercise. It's, it's, a, it's a process of discipleship for him. He sends them out two by two, and he says, I want you to go. All right, don't bring your... Uh, 
every, all the food and all your, your supplies. Go out just two by two, and, and you're going to speak blessings of peace wherever you go. And where your blessing remains, where there's a person that receives that blessing, go and stay in that home. There's a, a man of peace, a person of peace there. Minister from there. Minister in that home and from that home. And that passage has, has been a shaping paradigm for me in my life of looking for persons of peace, people that God has prepared. So I'm not, all right, I, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything. I'm not trying to, to, to like pound the word into someone. I am looking for the person eager and waiting because God's prepared them, right? They're a part of the prepared work. I'm looking for those prepared works that is just like, I can just walk into this and I just see God's blessing pour out. Okay, that's, that's what I look for in my life. And, and one thing we, we did, so uh, I guess it would have been two weeks ago now, we, um, we shared about how on our cleanup day that I was going to do a short training, um, to, uh, and then we were going to go out during the, the cleanup day with anyone who wanted to come and go two by two, and, and we were going to pray for people. Okay, we were going to go into some of the apartments nearby and, and knock on a door. And just say, hey, I'm, I'm one of your neighbors. I'm uh, part of the community, and I'm just, we want to love on people. We want to get to know our neighbors. Um, we're part of this church up the street. We haven't always done a good job of getting to know our neighbors, and we just, we just want to do it. Can I pray for you? And just, just asking people, can I pray for you? And, and so we, we did that. Um, and I was joined by... My, my daughter, Anna Marie, who's 10, I was joined by Tony Hoffman and his daughter, Nastia. Nastia, how old are you? Where is she in here? How old's Nastia? 11. Yeah, Anna Marie's almost 11 too. So me and Tony and our two 10 or 11-year-old daughters. So that, that was our crew. And it was awesome. And let me just, let me just tell you what happened. Um, so we went down to... Um, Apartment complex towards the end of the, the street here, and we just knocked on doors. Some people didn't answer. Some people said, oh, no thanks. Some people showed up with a bunch of kids, and they're like, oh. And the girls handed them uh, kids' camp flyers, and, and, and we, um, yeah, and they just, we could talk to them, and they said, oh, I'm busy now. And then we knocked on a door, and a, a woman came out. She was wearing Superman pajamas. Uh, and, and we just said, hey. And then she looked at us, she's like, hey, she's so excited to see us. And we're just like, hey, we're just out getting to know our neighbors. And we're wondering if there's something we could pray for you about. And then immediately she's, she just starts giving us hugs and hugging our girls. And she's just like, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Please pray for me. She's, I just got my baby's ashes home yesterday. And I've been sitting home depressed I don't know anyone in this city. I don't, yes, pray for me. Yes, and so we're I'm praying for her. She's crying, I'm crying, and we're just like, wow, Lord. She must have said eight or ten times, I can't believe this timing. I can't believe you showed up today. And I'm just like, I can. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. That's what happens about every time I I do this because it's nothing special about me. It's about, it's about God's prepared work. 
And so she invites us in, and we're, and we're, and we're, we're talking. She shows us the urn of her, uh, her late-term uh, miscarriage that she had and, and uh, where the baby's ashes were, and we're just talking about it. We're able to share some scripture with her, um, and she's got a bunch of kids, and we invited them to kids camp, and then I'm like, hey, can I, can I come back, and can we, can we open the word together? She's like, please, yes, yes, let's do it. And so we exchange numbers, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back, and, and just we're going to open the word together. And, and God loves to do that kind of thing. And, and so here's my challenge, my short challenge, is I wonder how many of you God was prompting to go with us last week. And I wonder who else was sitting at home depressed that morning who, who would have been so eager to receive prayer, so eager to hear about Jesus. Now, I don't, I don't want anyone to feel guilty, right? That's not what this is about. And by the way, you didn't miss some like once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You just like come talk to me. I'm like, okay, let's go do it, right? So, so you didn't miss any, right? thing that you can't, then come talk to me again. We'll do it again, okay? But I just, I just wonder how easy it is for us to think within our little box and how easy it is for us to, to be governed by fear and to not be willing to step out. And again, I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to, work, to walk in the good works that God has prepared for me. <laughs> There's a difference. I want you to walk in the works that God has prepared for you. They're going to look different. I'm not saying that, that meeting your neighbors and knocking on doors with strangers and praying for them is necessarily the works that God has for you. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But I'm saying you got to know what those works are and then walk in them in boldness and in freedom and fully expecting God to show up in powerful ways. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we desire you to come in power in our lives. This amazing gospel has transformed us. It has, it has shown us both our sin and has uprooted our pride, but it's replaced it with the greatest and highest dignity that any, any person can know, being a beloved child of God. And we want to walk in that and then lay our lives down. Help us to know ourselves and how you've gifted us. And then help us to see those prepared works by listening to your spirit, by seeing the needs around us in this church, in this community, in our families, among the nations. God, help us to lift our eyes to see that the fields are white for the harvest. And equip your saints for the work of the ministry, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.